Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Hoops Journey, episode number 31, moving along. Um, a well-traveled guest of ours here tonight, uh, as we both sit here and have the opportunity to avoid watching the uh, the American election and talk hoops. Um, a guy that I've known for a long time, made, made his way from Niagara Falls out west and fortunately hasn't left yet. A legend from Simon Fraser, uh, former Olympian. Uh, I've taken a few elbows in the cheekbones from him and had a few scowls my direction. Uh, we have none other than Mr. Peter Garacci. How are you, sir? I'm good, Aaron. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And those elbows were never intentional, just so you know. <laughs> I, I get it. No, I totally understand. Yeah, for sure. You can, And you can also say whatever you want. I don't necessarily believe it. but Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How's things, man? How have you been and how, how have you and your family been doing with you know, this crazy scenario that we've all been working through and, and uh, how are you guys all doing on your end? Uh, we've been doing okay. I mean, it's been a bit of a transition for myself personally, but my family has been uh, doing very well. I have three kids, so I have a 14, uh, soon to be 14-year-old daughter, soon to be 12-year-old daughter, and then a four-year-old son. And uh, no, everybody's been, been really good. I think they're pretty happy to be back at school um in Kelowna I mean we're managing as much as possible to keep them as active as we can outside of school hours obviously within the the limits of COVID my wife is working full-time as a nurse and I am uh, I'm actually back at school so I'm uh, I'm in the education program up at UBC Okanagan just started early September so hopefully if all goes well in a in just over a year's time I'll I'll be able to teach in this province Nice, man. So we've got time to talk you out of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. I try to stay strong. Just try to stay strong, get through it. But And how's it been so far? Like, is it, you know, obviously uh, being an older guy going back and, and doing that, have you, you know, I, I always liked going back to do when I did my master's just because I found like I was just a more, I was just more of aware of the world around me. And, and, you know, when I got into the the teaching side of things. And then I got to do my master's. I, I really enjoyed the classes. Whereas maybe when I was younger, I was kind of like, okay, let's just get through this. So what's that experience been like for you so far? Yeah, it's nice in that way. I think as an older student, you kind of evaluate everything that's in front of you. And, and I think your time is, is precious. So you really evaluate that part of it in terms of how much time you're putting in or how much time they're asking you to put in. And if it's an efficient use of your time, it's been, uh, the education program has been pretty good. I mean, there's a, probably about 20% mature students, older students, maybe around or close to my age. Yeah. Um, going back to school with younger students, usually they're, they're all pretty good. They're pretty accepting. They don't really think twice. There is a bit of like a unbridled energy and enthusiasm, which I, I don't want to damper in any way with my <laughs> real life experience, which I just try to observe and and carry on but uh i mean being a bit older you can you can kind of see like the the young energy in the room and the young enthusiasm to get out there and kind of quote unquote change the world but um and i didn't you know you don't want to damper that because because i mean we need it right like the world needs that kind of energy but uh just from my perspective yeah sure it's great but I, maybe i have a more realistic approach to the whole situation but um, it's, it's been mm -hmm. good. The younger students are really, I mean, they've been great. 
they're really accepting. They're they're super innovative. They're very creative. Like different, totally different than from when I I went through the through the system. And how much have you guys? Or I mean, you're on your wheel about what are you six? I guess you're probably what eight weeks in. But what have you guys talked about in terms of adjustments that have been made around something like COVID? Or has that come up yet? Or are you kind of just sort of getting the ball rolling still a bit? I'm just interested about that from a educational side of things. Yeah, I think like we've all been made aware of the protocols that are that exist in each school, and every school is different. We haven't been in the schools uh, that much yet. That starts in December. Mm-hmm. We're in the schools for two weeks. Um, so we've been discussing a little bit about that. But, I mean, the big focus really has been on the BC curriculum and how we're supposed to apply it as teachers. Yeah. The program, in terms of, like, being hit by COVID, it's been, like, everything's been, I'd say, 80% via Zoom. So a lot online, online delivery, which is, I mean, kind of worked out well for me with the family and and you know, busy home life. So I could kind of, uh, it's a little more flexible and, you know, get through some classes with, uh, with some family around, or, you know, you're making dinner on the side and, and listening in and, and whatnot. But, uh, just it's, it's been, uh, it's been good for, for me personally, just in terms of that kind of flexibility. Good. Glad to hear that. And, uh, and it'll probably be interesting when it gets the chance to get into the uh, classroom, but that's definitely the fun part, right? Is being around the environment and, and being with the kids and stuff. So are you planning on doing high school? Yeah. So there's two streams you can, you can go into it's elementary or like teaching children, they call it, or teaching adolescents. So adolescence is like middle school and up and I'm in the adolescence stream. Yeah. So yeah, I'd yeah. like to get, I mean, I think I'd like to start in middle school somewhere just to kind of get comfortable and then, and then hopefully find a place to go. Hopefully high school. I mean, my, by the time I'm done the program, my little guy will be in grade one. So really, I got to position myself into his middle school. So I, when he, once he gets there, I, I can make sure he actually stays in school. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now it's all making sense. Now yeah. it's all making sense. Yeah, Love exactly. <laughs> Long-term plan. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's awesome, man. Wish you nothing but the best, and I and I, uh, I hope it goes well. I know it will. So, um, that's good stuff. Well, thank you. Um, I think you know a lot of people, you know, our age might find that a tough, but I think you know as people will find out through this show the challenges and the different things that you've been through in basketball and life. You know, this is probably like nothing to you. So. Let's just talk about that and talk about you as a young guy growing up um, back out east and, you know, how, how sport got involved in your life and, and how you started to become, you know, a little bit of a basketball player or an athlete itself. Were there, you know, were there peers, were there mentors, was it siblings, you know, how did, how did a young Pete um, get into it? Yeah, so I grew up like in Niagara Falls, Ontario, probably not the nicest uh, part of Niagara Falls. I have three sisters, two older, one younger, basically like a regular middle class kind of family home life. Uh, you know, I had a group of friends. I think like everybody did in those days, you kind of, for me, I hopped on my bike and just grabbed whatever sporting equipment was the call of the day, whether it's like a baseball glove or a soccer ball or a football or a basketball and find your friends somewhere and just, uh, you know, get after it for a while. So that was that was a lot of my elementary school life just uh playing whatever i could whatever i could play really um it wasn't until 
grade six that I started to think about basketball more and it, and it uh, started to become a bit of a, a mini possession uh, obsession, I guess. And I started noticing myself always on my bike with my basketball, just trying to find anybody else who was playing. So I'd be biking to every outdoor court there was. And if there was somebody playing, then I would just try to hop in. But uh, I, I think around grade six is when I started to, to really get hooked. That's cool. And like, was it because like when, I mean, you're a big dude. So when did that growth happen for you? Were you always kind of a bigger guy and people were like, Oh, you should play basketball or what was it about basketball? If you remember, I mean, grade six is a long time ago for all of us, but what was it about basketball that made you get on your bike looking for people to play against and play with? I, you know, I, I was probably like in the top five or six in terms of height in my class probably till around grade like nine or 10. I wasn't the tallest by any means. There was, there was other kids taller than me. I, I think with basketball, it was like the, just the immediate reward, like the fast pace, the decision-making, all the, you know, it's, it's such a stimulating game and you have to have that variety of skills to, to survive. And, uh, you know, just to, like I said, the quick reward of seeing the ball go through the hoop. Like, uh, I think that's probably what got me connected. And then, and then being, you know, just above slightly above average athlete. When I was younger, I was not a, like an athlete that you would like look twice at. That's for sure. But, uh, that was enough to, (laughs) with my size to kind of give me a little bit of success with basketball. Mm -hmm. And then it's like the old saying, like, do you, you know, do you fall in love with it first or are you good at it first? Right. So I, I think it was a bit right. of both for me where I, where I was, uh, I, I liked being kind of good at one of the sports. Like I noticed I was, Oh, I'm a little bit better than some of my peers. So this is fun. Let's keep doing it. I like being better. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. Yeah. And I, I always remember you being like a super intense, like competitive guy. Was that something that you were like as a young age too? Or did that sort of in your high school years start, start to morph? Or do you remember like being in grade seven and being pissed off, losing, you know, one-on-one stuff like that? It wasn't until like my first year of university. After my first year of university, I flipped a switch and I had to. But uh, cool. it wasn't until then, yeah. like I was, like if I look back, I was, I would consider myself pretty soft like going through high school, not aggressive. Mm. And I got like, uh, I got told about it a lot. <laughs> right. Mm. And, uh, it, it didn't deter me from playing basketball, but it was, uh, it started to kind of, it, it wasn't until university where I, I had to kind of make a decision on how I was going to play the game. And, uh, but all through, I mean, elementary, you know, you're just kind of in the big mass of kids playing along. I don't think I, separated myself by any means in high school i probably started to separate myself a bit more just because of just because of my frame like i just started to grow so much and i was long and and you know i was always in the gym i just still loved basketball even when like i didn't always get the rewards from it i didn't always get the positive reinforcement from the sport but i think i think i really just truly loved the game Right. So that, that kind of kept me connected to it no matter what happened. Yeah. I think you made a couple of great points there is like, especially when you're younger and you're into sport. One of the things I always loved about basketball too was 
you could just get on your bike and go to a hoop, right? Like that was all you needed was a ball. And, and, you know, every, you know, everyone was hopefully fortunate enough to have a pair of shoes and, um, you know, get out there and, and play and continue to get better, whether people were at the court or not. So that's also a draw for basketball as well. And I can't wait to hear kind of what that first year in university was like for you, you know, because, and this is the cool part about the podcast is going back and hearing people's stories because, you know, I, in my mind, I've just made assumptions about you and what your life was like. Right. Sure. And now I get to hear about it selfishly and, and, and it's cool, man. So as you, as you moved into those high school years, did you develop some friendships with other guys that wanted to play the game? Did you have a coach that was a bit of a mentor or was it sort of still you kind of just working on your craft and, and wanting to get better at it? And, and what were those years like for you? Yeah, I'd say like high school was important because, uh, I went, uh, I came from, I went to a new high school for me where it was probably 1500 students. And I think I knew like two people. So uh, that's when I really kind of connected even more to basketball because it became a bit of a, like the court was court was home for me. I could go on the court and just kind of, okay, I know this place. Like I know these lines, I know the soup, I know, I know what this is about and I can, I can manage myself in that situation. I mean, I had a really interesting high school career because, I mean, my teammate was Greg Newton. I don't know if you, you're familiar with that name <laughs> on the national team. And he, I mean, to this day, yeah. he was probably still one of the top recruited uh, high school basketball players ever to come out of Canada. And he was a year younger than me. But going into, you know, in uh, Ontario, got grade 9 to 13. Uh, I was still totally yeah. passionate about the sport. I mean, and it didn't hurt that Jay Triano, you know, went to the same high school and, uh, you know, his father was my principal. So <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. So in grade nine and 10, I was just obsessed with basketball, played it, you know, first thing, as soon as you get to the school, get to school early in the gym, go to class, all sweaty, you know, go lunchtime, eat lunch quick, get back to the gym after school. Same thing. That was out of season. Once the practices started, you know, then you have your practice schedule. But, uh, I mean, I can remember a time in grade 10 where I was young and I was young for my grade, for my eight, my grade age. So I was playing on the grade nine, sorry, I was playing exhibition games in exhibition tournaments for the grade nine basketball team. So I was traveling with them. I was playing as a team member on my grade 10 team. And then I would play on the junior team. Then I would also practice with the senior team, which was, basically grades 11 to 13. So I was, there was lots of days where I just went to three different practices with three different teams and, and I just couldn't get enough. Right. Like it was, that's awesome. it was just, uh, that's all I wanted to do. But you know, it's yeah. kind of funny. Like there was a really pivotal moment where you're going to a new school, socially trying to figure out where I fit and kind of being a bit of a, a goof in class, you know, like a class clown, trying to get attention any way you can. And uh, grade nine, grade 10, my grades suffered. Uh, I won't lie. I was doing like just going down the wrong path. And I got sent to the yeah. principal's office a couple of times. And a few times that was Howie Triano, Jay's dad, you know, <laughs> you're in the mm -hmm. principal's office with uh, Mr. Triano and he, he'd do his discipline for the first 
five minutes and then we'd spend like the next 10 minutes 15 minutes talking about what i need to do to get better at basketball so that was i don't know if i i don't know if i subconsciously wanted to go there just to figure out how i could get better but uh <laughs> but it wasn't until i i i remember this night vividly where it was like parent teacher interview night and uh I was, everybody's getting, all the ballers were kind of collecting in the gym, getting ready to play. I was in grade 10 and my parents dropped me off. I got my shoes on, got all ready to go. And it's got, we got a good group of guys, like 13, 14 guys from all different ages, ready to just hoop out. You know how fun those nights are. And the, and then I'm just getting ready to yeah. go. I look over at the door and my mom, and my dad walk in and my mom, like, she's just, so pissed and then she's so upset and my my dad's got smoke coming out of his ears and and they just finished talking to my teachers and I'm like oh man this is not good so they just point to my bag get your ball we're going straight home and I'm like I'm like we're about to play and she's like no you're not playing basketball till your next report card so that the game got taken away from me because of uh, my academic situation and literally within like a month, month and a half, my grades just totally skyrocketed up because I want to play basketball so bad. Love it. It's awesome, man. So much good stuff. And okay. So first of all, the name Greg Newton, of course, man. Um, I don't know. So I, I think we're, you know, we're, how old are you now? 46. Yeah, so we're three years apart. So I was grade 10, and we went to a tournament in Edmonton. We played in the junior tournament. It was the called the Reb Classic. Yep. It was crazy. Yep. And Yeah. Did you get to play in that? I didn't play in Edmonton. I didn't play that one, but I, I've heard of it, and I've actually I've, I've recruited there as yeah. well. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, there you go. So my coach is like, yeah, you know, like in grade 10 was my, definitely my peak of athleticism. So, you know, I dunked a few times in a few games and he, he was like, you should go in the dunk contest. And I was like, Oh, I, okay. I can do like a lob one foot, one hand sweet. <laughs> right. And I, I walk into the spare gym and there's like, you know, there's a team from Texas there. There's a team from California there. And like Greg ended up like jumping over one of his teammates, like spread Eagle from yeah. just inside the free throw line. And I'm like, yeah, I'm definitely not supposed to be in this dunk contest with these other, with these other human beings. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and for those that don't know who he is, they should give him a Google. Cause yeah, I mean, the guy ended up going to Duke and, and you're kind of, you know, you're being a little bit humble about it, but to talk about at your age to be playing with the nines, the tens and being pulled up, obviously someone at a young age saw you and saw some potential in you and was, you know, they were someone that they wanted to invest time in because they saw that you could become, you know, a, a good player. So I think that's, that's super cool. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was, it was a lot of fun. I mean, and Greg Newton had the similar experience, but it was, I, I think it really helped. Like we, we, we helped each other because we were both, I mean, Greg Newton's, if, if you don't know him, I mean, he's 6'11". He's athletically super gifted. And at that age, he was also very, very skilled for a high school basketball player. Like he could knock down a three. He can catch alley-oops. He'll dunk. He would dunk on guys in crowds. Like he was just, uh, we, we would go up to Toronto for, for tournaments. And we wouldn't win a ton of games because we didn't have obviously the depth we couldn't handle the pressure that some of those teams applied athletically, but Greg would just, mm -hmm. I mean, he would have 10 or 11 dunks against the top Toronto guys. And it was, it, I mean, I've, I remember going to a home game and 
no joke, you look in the crowd and it was like a who's who of NCAA Div 1 coaches. There's like Mike Krzyzewski, there's, there's uh, Jim Beheim. there's uh, the guy that used to coach at, I forget, is it Calhoun from Connecticut? Um, Jim Calhoun. Yep, Calhoun. Uh, yep. Even, uh, I think, Bobby Knight. In the, I mean, these are those coaches are in our crowd watching us play a game there to see Greg. It was, uh, it was so cool. Like we played three on three after school one day for coach Krzyzewski and his assistant at the time. Right. Um, yeah. Very neat experience, like surreal. And, and it was also an interesting time because I knew they weren't there. Like, uh, you know, you have your own aspirations as a player and I wasn't, uh, I was trying to, do something too but i knew they weren't there for me but i was was happy for greg but also jealous at the same time right but mm-hmm. but it was just neat to be part of all that and and greg was always a he was a good teammate and he, he had a lot of fun playing the game and and i think we both had fun kind of pushing each other and it's not too often in a high school practice that you have like a six six nine guy and a six eleven guy who could match up and at least make things challenging for each other so yeah it was a lot of it was an interesting time to go through high school with uh being his teammate for sure yeah and i think and i think for your personal development too right like you've got this guy every day that you know you're not walking into practice and you probably you know you're starting together but most times and i'm assuming in practice your coaches are matching you up so that you're not just dominating practice to the point where it's not realistic so at least you've got like you you two can just go blow to blow you know in drills and stuff like that right oh absolutely and i think like that's what happened a lot right i mean he but to be honest uh like i i would say he we we probably played pretty even in practice because i figured out a way to like not let him dunk on me all the time but i i wasn't nearly (laughs) as aggressive as him like i wasn't dunking like he was and i and i i had like a decent enough frame my teammates used to just just rag on me all the time like what just why aren't you dunking it like craig and i'm like well the guy is jumping 45 inches like i don't jump that high (laughs) right i gotta be as tall as i can to just squeak one in i was a very i wasn't very athletic in high school at all like and i i wasn't aggressive at all but greg just had that Mm -hmm. gene and he was uh i mean he was fun to play with in games because he could he, he made me look like a really good passer you know anything i threw near the rim and and sometimes it was a shot attempt that went sideways. <laughs> he would he'd catch and dunk it. So it was like, oh yeah, Pete's a great great teammate, great passer. <laughs> <laughs> and did you were you guys both on that U nineteen team that came out here for the Canada Games? Was that? Yeah, yeah, I think that was. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I remember like I, coming out with Greg. I was a year older than him at that time, but uh, yeah, yeah, we were part of that part of that crew um but i mean we like that bc ontario yeah those are two loaded teams man yeah we had some good uh definitely some good battles and got the match up with uh like the steve the bc team that had steve nash and uh yeah i mean uh it was it was always fun we came out twice and two years in a row to kamloops one for the just the i think it was the u18 basketball championships and then the following year uh, we lost to Quebec in the final with the in the Canada Games, but um, yeah. But I the second year I had already completed a year in university, so I was a I had a distinct advantage of just playing against older guys for a whole season 
um, that helped me a lot. For but sure. uh, but yeah, it was fun. I mean, I've I've gotten to be Greg's. I mean, he's my high school teammate, and uh, you know, we were teammates on the provincial team, and then and then sure enough, we found ourselves to be teammates later on in life on the Canadian national team. So that was it. Was been a pretty yeah. pretty cool connection to have. It's super unique too. I mean, not to say like not no knock, but like of a place like Niagara Falls, you know what I mean? Like just where two, two guys come from there. I think that's pretty cool. And then kind of following, you know, the footsteps of Jay and this, the story is so cool that maybe a lot of people don't even realize. Have you ever taken the time to like sit back and reflect on all that? Or are you just still, you're not like the old man with feet up yet? <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, it, it is neat. I mean, so there's like, there's times where I remember, I forget, it must have been, uh, it must have been 92 or 96. I forget which Olympics, though, it must have been 92. And then, uh, yeah, the Olympics that Jay was in. And uh, I remember listening to the intercom, like in the announcements, and they used to talk about, oh, Jay Triano had 24 points today against uh, Yugoslavia or something. Uh, yeah. You know, just hearing them talk about our high school alumni on the PA announcements before school started and Jay Triano's name used to come up and of course like I mentioned his dad was my principal and I don't know if I mm-hmm. I don't know if that like that sparked something but just hearing it in the connection it was like hold on like uh, you know it wasn't like I sat there and was like all right you know I'm gonna make the Olympics I didn't never yeah. thought that for a second but I think I just because there's such a distant idea I think it was more just the fact that like hey there's somebody that kind of grew up kind of just like us and he's there doing what he's doing. So it, it was like, Oh, that can actually happen. So he, I mean, we credit to Jay. I mean, Jay, Jay made it uh, a possibility for a lot of us, uh, especially growing up in that Niagara Falls area. And I think that's why there was a bit of a boom in basketball. And that's why you saw some decent players come out of there for a while because, uh, cause we had Jay. Right. Like he, he made it, uh, yeah. it wasn't unrealistic to, to kind of, uh, have some big dreams and, and achieve them. And, uh, he, he definitely set an yeah. example in that way. Love that, man. That's so cool. Um, and, and then when did you, I mean, obviously, you know, you're, you're, you're in grade nine, you're playing on three different teams or at least having the opportunity. When did you think to yourself like, Hey, okay, I want to move on with this and university, something on my radar. And I, you know, I, maybe have a chance for you know a little bit of my education to be paid for you know you've already had the hammer laid down from mom and dad saying like all right well there's no basketball if there's no academics so that connection's been made and when does it when do you think to yourself like okay i i really want to push for this and, and make something out of my secondary career? I, I think in the grade 11 year for myself like that transition from from grade 10 like i finished grade 10 uh i was six three so I was still kind of tall, but I wasn't, uh, it wasn't anything that, you know, wasn't uh, crazy or crazy tall at that age. But, uh, that summer I grew four inches and I came back to school in September <laughs> six, seven, and it was very painful summer cause I was growing all the time. So like my, my joints, <laughs> like my back, everything was just, my parents weren't quite sure what was going on with me and why, uh, you know, all these, uh, all these changes so quickly. I mean, I remember in that summer back East, it gets super humid and hot in the summer, but I would sleep under like layers of blankets and I had an electric blanket in the middle of summer because I was losing 
all this heat because I was just growing like uh, at a ridiculous rate very quickly. And uh, I don't know where that came from because my parents aren't tall, but my dad always, my dad has a theory that that I willed myself to be tall because he said I could not stop talking about it. That's all I would talk about is just how tall I need to be to play basketball. And uh, he, he <laughs> thinks I actually thought it into existence. I don't, I don't know if I agree with him, but, uh, <laughs> but that, that's his theory. But uh, I think by once I got back grade 11 and now all of a sudden I'm six, seven and I, and I'm realizing, well, this is, this is useful for basketball. Like this helps a lot right now. I'm, a lot longer than guys and it's things are easier and rebounds are a lot easier to get to and whatnot. And that's, that's when I started to kind of uh, dial in and, and really just focus on, uh, you know, it was my passion and, and make it my passion, not only during like the high school season and, and when you find a court to play on with some buddies, but, you know, get on a club team and, and start to get to camps and start to start to get, uh, be involved with basketball year round. Yeah. And when do you, when does that first offer come in or when does that coach walk in and, and not be there for Greg and come up to you? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's like around, so there is, like I said, there's a grade 13 in Ontario. So around probably towards the end of grade 12, I'm starting to get, you know, letters from different schools and universities throughout the United States. A lot of them low uh, to mid uh, division one and a lot of division two, um, and some NAIA, so not the same uh, level of school that that Greg was got, uh, Greg Newt was getting. I mean, I would come home and check the mail, and at that in those days, I mean, there's no internet, so you're just getting you're checking your mail every day. Oh, did I get a letter? Who who sent me a letter today? And sometimes I'd I'd read the university name, and I'd have no idea where this university is from or or how they found out about me. But uh, in uh, but it was it was good. It was exciting. So you started to get some interest, and you realize that uh, that that basketball can actually turn into turn into a, a way to help your parents and help your family in terms of supporting your education. And uh, that's when you know that that's when I really realized that hey, maybe I'm onto something. Like this is this is good. It's not just a passion. It could be something that can that can help me and help the people around me. So. Um, yeah, it was exciting. I mean, I, I never got that. I was always looking for like, oh man, Syracuse, Duke, something like that. But it wasn't, none of those schools sent letters. It was more the the smaller schools, but it was still flattering nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. And, and it, you know, I mean, just the way that you're describing yourself and everything, you know, people would probably use the term whatever, like a bit of a late bloomer, right? And and so let's jump into the recruiting process and how you decide to pick, you know, Fairfield as your first place. Like, were you were you a homebody? Like, were you someone who wasn't willing, you know, right away out of high school? Was it really uncomfortable to, for you to think about going somewhere? Or were you like, I'm ready to roll and I want to move on and, and see what happens? You know, I think I went, I went to uh, my official visit to Fairfield and – um, you know, had, had the home visits from probably five or six different coaches and university programs. And I really liked the coach there. And once I went for the visit, it was, uh, I, I think I was comfortable there, you know, and I had a really good visit and I enjoyed my, the teammates that were there. And, uh, it just seemed, it seemed like a good fit. It wasn't too far away from, from Niagara Falls. It was about 
seven hours away. They played in the Metro Atlantic. So a lot of the schools they played were like Canisius and Buffalo, Niagara University right across the border, a few other schools in Albany, you know, New York, Siena. So they were actually, you know, within the realm of my parents coming to coming to watch me play and and to visit. I think uh I think, you know, looking back, I wish I would have I don't think I even used a second visit. I think I went to Fairfield and I liked it. And I was like, yeah, that, that's a good fit. Let's go. And I, looking back, I wish I would have exhausted all five of my visits. I think I was a bit immature in that sense where I wasn't, I wasn't quite ready to really uh, kind of process what kind of decision this was going to be and, and take my time and, and go through the steps a bit more diligently. So, um, no knock against the school whatsoever, but I think I could have taken my time. And in the end, I might have chose that school regardless. But um, but yeah, yeah, I ended up choosing Fairfield. And it was, uh, I mean, without having gone to Fairfield, and it was a big adjustment to to pack up and head home and go to school in the States. And um, But without going there, there's no way I would have figured out how I was going to survive in the basketball world. Cause that, that year down there really changed who I was as a basketball player. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's jump right into that. I'm super intrigued. And, um, you know, I just, it, it, like, it, to be honest with you, Pete, like just thinking of the years where, you know, Langara, we would gym and I'd come up with tone and wall and you'd be there and there, you know, it was just an opportunity to play against guys that were much better than I was. And just seeing you, and how, how damn hard you works. Um, so, you know, you didn't lack in skill, but whatever you did lack in skill, you definitely made up for with, you know, sweat equity, man, like always the first guy back, right. Tough physical guy. So what was it about down there that was so different, um, than, than your high school experience? And, you know, I'm, I, this is going to be awesome to hear about. I was lucky. Cause I, when I went there as a freshman, so my first year, there was a senior, He's, so I was probably about 6'9", like 195, like soaking wet, right? I was just a skeleton walking around with some skin. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a frame, but I had like no, I had no uh, muscle to back it up. And uh, I played against the guy. He was a senior. He was 6'9", like 250. He led the, led the conference in rebounding as a junior. And uh, he wasn't a great scorer, but he was just a workhorse, right? Like just uh, so challenging to keep him off the glass, and uh, and and just to just to compete in terms of rebound, compete. And I learned I learned so much uh, just playing against him because the one thing I like I will give myself credit that I I didn't I didn't never not try. Like I tried really hard. I just didn't have like the physical right. capacity to 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 do much with it, like uh, in, at that level. But I but I still tried really hard, and I think that's what the coaches uh, probably liked is that there's you know I wasn't I wasn't backing down. I would keep trying and um, just competing against this guy every day inside, like in practice in the weight room on the track, like just trying to compete with him was. I mean, he had no idea he was doing it at the time, but I was learning uh, so much, and you just can't recreate that when you get to compete against somebody of that uh, that ag- aggression and, and that physical. He's just such a physical 
specimen who's hard to match up against. So I would cringe like going into practice because I, I knew it was coming, right? Two and a half hours of, of him. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, but on the other side of it, like there was just a couple moments where during my freshman year where you just start to do a thing or two and your teammates start to look at you differently. Like they honestly, like for my first month or two there, I got, I probably got called every name in the book because I was just so soft, right? Like I, and if you cost those guys a, a run in open court, like, because you're being soft, like they are not going to, they're not going to let that slide. Right. So I got told repeatedly and it was, it was really hard, but I mean, at, at some point kind of a switch flipped where I was like, I, I have to figure out how I'm going to compete. And I think, I, I realized that I really do love to compete. And I think, um, like I, as I, like later on, I never, I never really had the skill set of a lot of the pros I played against, but I, I felt like the one thing I could control or, or the one asset I had that could level the playing field was just compete, the compete level. So that kind of, that started to come out in me in my first year and my compete level, I think my teammates could see it would start to like there was some practices where you know the six nine senior wasn't doing what he was doing to me like three four months earlier like he wasn't dominating me on every rebound I was snatching them out of his hands at times and it was just it just started to grow right and uh and and I think like anything you get some success at it and you you find out like hey this is this is working but I mean it was exhausting because I had to I had to compete at my my highest level to compete just to just to stay afloat so you really had to challenge yourself day in day out but um I think that's when I started to realize that okay that's what this is like you I gotta out compete guys I have to like I have to be the most competitive guy on the court and um that that was one thing I felt like I can control uh you know game in game out practice in practice out so that that's that was probably like the realization and the and the biggest skill I gained being down there for a year. Good Lad Clothing is the most unique shopping experience in the Lower Mainland. The owner Shane Meyer has worked hard to create a personal experience, offering clothing, specialized coffee, haircuts, and beard trims. Located in Lower Lonsdale at two two one West Esplanade in North Vancouver, seconds from the C bus. If you are unable to make it to the store, you can shop online at shopthefoldgroup.com. And oh yeah, in store, if you mention a hoops journey, you'll receive 15% off anything store-wide. We want to take a moment and thank our sponsor, Parkside Brewery. Located in the heart of Port Moody on Brewers Row, Parkside offers an amazing atmosphere with one of the best summer patios around. If you can't make it to the brewery located at 2731 Murray Street, then hit any government retail store and try the Don Pilsner, the Dusk Pale Ale, or my favorite, the Dreamboat Hazy IPA. A Hoops Journey promises that the beer at Parkside is much, much, much better than the owner, Sam Payne's Streaky Jump Shot. We hope to see you Parkside.
I think it's such a huge thing, especially, you know, we have the odd young person, kids from our school and other schools that listen to the podcast. And just, I think that the biggest thing for me is as a coach and what I see now is like kids just constantly playing against the same level, right? Yeah. Like they constantly, they, they go to the places where it's comfortable or they go where they go to play with their buddies and no one ever gets into it and they never go. I mean, even if you just go up to Bonzer and you're playing against grown men, like guys that are just physically stronger and bigger and not necessarily even better than you. Right. Yeah. And I think that takeaway from someone who's playing at a high level, um, been recruited to be there and, and really having to make that transition to like mentally be like, all right, I've got to really bring it every day here because I got to earn my keep. And, and I think young people need to hear, hear that, that, you know, it's okay to just continue to get knocked down and just continue to try and grow from that. Yeah. And I, and I think like, as a, just speaking from my coaching experiences, like I could never really, yeah, I could never really teach somebody to, I could never amp somebody up like in a scale on a competitive level. Like I couldn't get somebody to be, it's very challenging to get somebody to be more competitive. Right. Whereas mm -hmm. if you're yeah. uber competitive and like to the point of kind of out of control, I, I can maybe work with you to scale that down. So if you lack skill and ability, but you got this competitiveness that is off the charts, like I'd rather take that guy than the guy that has the skills, but is missing that competitiveness. Cause I'd be concerned that I can never get uh, that person to that level. So, I mean, in competitiveness mm -hmm. makes like, what do you, for the, I mean, like for the young players, if you're trying to get better on your own, who are you competing against? Like you compete against yourself when you go shoot hoops before school in the gym, or you compete against yourself when you go lift weights in the weight room, you're just trying to be stronger than you were before. So if you don't have that compete, um, it's very hard to teach, uh, but it's, it's very hard to ramp up, but you can, you can scale it down if it's if it's a little on the wild side, which is which is I think what I ended up having when I went to SFU. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think you make a good point though. Yeah, how do you you know how do you get those? You, it's hard to bring that out of someone, right? And I was actually watching a couple of days ago a Dave Smart clinic, and he was talking about how like everything they do is competition in practice, and that. If, you, if young people are looking, like, make everything a competition, whether it's with others or for yourself. So I think that's, you know, just a within your little story, a great little nugget for for people to take away and for coaches to take away and something to think about. Um, so you finished two years at Fairfield. And then what is it? Why? What's the decision to to realize or think like, OK, I, you know, I don't want to I don't want to be here anymore. And I'm thinking about it, another option or did something come up that you weren't expecting? I'd say like I had a pretty good first year and then second year uh, I found in my first year, my coach was quite supportive And my second year um, when we came back and we weren't having success in terms of wins and losses. And to be very honest, I don't think I was mature enough to deal with uh, a losing situation and, you know, the adversity that goes along with it in terms of uh, the coaches. I mean, down there, coaches are, there, the coach at Fairfield wasn't there to end his career. He's trying to get to another spot from Fairfield, right? So when they start, mm -hmm. you know, it's a stepping stone. So when they start having, um, you know, when the results aren't coming in, that affects uh, how they run their program. And it was, uh, I mean, 
and I'm not even knocking him for it because I couldn't imagine, uh, you know, being a coach, I know what that feels like. It's, it's very difficult. But um, I wasn't quite mature enough to handle uh, that situation in terms of having the adversity. The other issue also was um, just the academic side of it. Like it was a smaller uh, Jesuit school. So I was taking a lot of courses where I, I didn't quite understand how this was going to help me after university i didn't understand uh it was a bit um, a lot of philosophy and, and religion based courses that i i didn't find to, to be of much help so it was kind of a joint decision between you know a bit of immaturity for sure and then uh a coach that was really uh challenging the team in, in various ways that weren't always comfortable and a little bit at times uh, a bit offside and then uh and then just the academic part where it was like you know what if i gotta i gotta make a change here and uh you know i think i want to come back home to canada be i in my mind i really was just gonna stay closer to home and consider some of the um the ontario universities and and just try to finish university there but then um when i did come back home I, that's when i started to talk with uh Jay Trana was at Simon Fraser and that's when I started to talk with him more or I mean he did a really good job of recruiting me and of course being from the same city it was there was a lot of connections there and I I, I had I never thought for once that I would come home from in my mind being far away you know a seven eight hour drive come home and all of a sudden fly across the country I didn't think that would that would happen I didn't plan for that at all but uh but Jay uh Jay just uh you know he made Simon Fraser seemed like such a such a great option and I mean Jay himself in terms of just his character and a and a guy you want to be around and and somebody you want to you know play for uh that was that was an easy decision um so mm -hmm. that that kind of ended up uh yeah I really thought I was going to stay close to home but next thing you know I found myself out here out west mm -hmm. it's crazy like uh we had him you know on the podcast and just talking about those years that I, at least I remember and just how many guys that he was able to get that were elite level players in Canada. And just, it, he's got such a unique way about him. Hey, like, like you, you, you pinned it perfectly, like a guy that you just want to be around and that you want to play for, you know, I think, uh, you nailed it on the head there and, and it would have been interesting. Obviously he moved on to great things, but had he stayed at SFU just to see, I, like I, I would have just envisioned, uh, you know, a dynasty under him, you know? Yeah, maybe that's a little bit biased. No, I, I mean, I'm def, I'm definitely biased, but I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to to see that pan out with the way he approached things, and it was very easy. I mean, he had a pipeline going back to Ontario, but I mean, uh, he, I felt like a, the more he stayed in that game, he would have been able to recruit anywhere across the country. Um, you know, it was funny because he didn't even. It was very bizarre the way he he recruited me but he you know i needed a couple courses because a lot of my courses didn't transfer over and and i never even committed to him but somehow i found myself taking two summer courses and i was halfway through i'm like why am i in these courses and then and <laughs> but jay just kind of like he was <laughs> just slowly tinkering with the process and making sure all my ducks were in order he's like oh yeah just in case you decide and but sure enough it was uh you know, I came out here for, for a visit, had a great visit. Scott Clark was actually his assistant at the time. Um, and Scott yeah. was great yeah. on my visit. Is, uh, it was a lot of fun. And, and uh, yeah, I just kind of fell in love with uh, 
the school and the, the area being out in BC and and by the time like the fall came I was I was ready to come out and there was a great group of guys out on the team as well I mean Steve Anderson Sean O'Brien you know Steve Dinney ended up coming afterwards Novell Thomas of course and I'm sure I'm missing some names but just yeah. a really good really good group of guys yeah um, it must have been all those announcements on the PA, man. They were still like swirling around yeah. in the head. Triano scores twenty-two on Yugoslavia. He's got you like, he's got you mind twisted. Dude. Oh yeah, it's just a subconscious, <laughs> uh, subconscious recruiting from way back. He didn't even know he was doing it, but uh, yeah, but yeah, no, it, it was, it was pretty good. Yeah, and then I mean, you know, you you're not gonna say it, so I will. You know, like I would just assume at some point you're gonna be an SFU Hall of Famer. You know, you're an All American. You're a Conference Player of the Year. You completely dominated when you were there. Um, and like you mentioned, you know, basketball is a team sport, and you know, some years you're the defender, sometimes you're the scorer. But you know, you were a key, you know, cog for those teams while you were there. And just talk about your time there and. And what those teams were like and how unique the NAIA was, right? And because there's, you know, there's a little bit of difference now. SFU is competing at the NC2A level. And, you know, what were those games like and the road trips? And um, and 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 when we'll move forward to kind of post, post-secondary. But how were those last few years for you there? Yeah, so I was there for two years. So Jay coached me for my first year there. And then he, uh, that's when the Vancouver Grizzlies rolled into town. And then he... Uh, took a position with uh, the Grizzlies uh, between my third and fourth year. So between my, uh, my two last years there. So I, Scott Clark ended up coaching me for my final year. Um, but being there, I mean, it was a great group of guys, great teammates. They were super supportive. And I can't say that um, I was always the best teammate. I think being coming from like that American environment, I just had this, and, and being still young and immature, trying to figure things out, uh, still had this idea where I had to be like uh, just a bit of a jerk and and uh, just overly aggressive all the time, almost about everything, like trying to win, like just 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 to the point where it was it was uh, kind of annoying. Um, but I don't think it was. Uh, I, I think it was a bit misguided. I'm not trying to say it was like a. a Kobe approach but it was more like hey just just simmer down buddy like you need to learn how to compete a bit so I was very thankful that when I was there Jay hooked me up with uh, Dr. David Cox who still teaches up there and uh, he's a sports psychologist and and he really helped me kind of uh, like I was mentioning earlier how you you it's uh, easier to teach somebody to dial it down so I had a real problem where I mean when I first played up there, I was, I couldn't manage my emotions in the game. So I was getting, you know, technicals, getting kicked out, like throwing elbows, throwing, like getting into fights. Like Scott Clark couldn't keep me in a game. Like, he's like, we're no, he's like, you're, you're not a very good player. If you can't play, like you're not in the game. So, um, spent some time with Dr. Cox and sports psychologists to figure out what was going on and, and to kind of channel the energy that I had. And it was just getting like the competitive juices and a, l- a little bit of anger. You're, you're just like, you know, you're a young buck and you're just like a l- little wild and just figuring out a way to kind of tone that down so that you can actually stay in the games and compete. But, um, I mean, it was great having Jay, like Jay just taught me so much about, 
what it means to be a good teammate, like what it means to be part of a part of a good team and and part of uh and give back to your teammates and 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 everybody just had I mean on all the teams I've played for with Jay, I mean everybody just had this sacrificial feeling about them that it, it just came normal to the team. It became like uh that was our culture. It was just it was easy to kind of uh prop your teammate up and and uh and put them on a pedestal a bit. So he he really taught taught me how to be a good teammate. And then playing for Scott, I mean, I'm very grateful to Scott because Scott taught me how to really work hard. And uh, he questioned at first whether I was working hard enough. And he, he taught me how how to work hard and how to become uh, the best player I could that year. And I, I mean, I learned a lot from both of them and I'm super grateful to, to both of them because there's no way I'd be able to to keep playing after, you know, post-secondary and, and playing uh, after university if it wasn't for them. I mean, they, they, in, the, in those last two years, they kind of, uh, they really helped me because it was not, it's not an easy situation for a, a player to come out of a university and transfer and go to a new spot and, and figure out how, how they're going to keep it going. But uh, without those two guys, uh, th- there's no way I could have got it done. So they, they helped a ton. It's funny how, too, you're mentioning things that, like, um, you know, you said the word culture and a lot of things that don't even have to do with X's and O's, right? It's like a coach being able to understand the people that he's he's working with and know that each individual is different and has different needs, like a Novi and a Rammer have a different need than you do to an OBS and trying to have everybody be cohesive, right? And also kudos to you to, like, look back and reflect and be like, hey, you know what, I was a bit of an ass. And then also realizing, like, you know, I think you're going into your senior year and so many of us could have been like, well, hey, like I, I'm a starter, you know, I'm, I've dominated a lot of games last year and you know, I don't really need to change. But you're like, no, you know what, there are there are a few things about myself that I don't like and I and I have this mindset where I need to continue to be better. And I think that says a lot about you and who you are as a person as well. And I mean, that's the beauty of playing sports, right, is that you get so much feedback all the time from your teammates, from your coaches, from the coaching staff. I mean, I look back and sometimes I think, like, I I kind of had to be a bit of a jerk to compete. Like, I wasn't going to be able to compete and be a nice guy. Like, it just, I, it couldn't, it didn't work with me because I just wasn't, I wasn't good enough. Like, Steve Nash can go out there and be a nice guy and be an unbelievable competitor. But I couldn't do that because, like, I mean, I don't have what he has in terms of skills and ability, right? So, it, mm-hmm. it kind of became... A bit of a persona, but looking back, it would have been, I, I did, maybe I could have scaled it down a bit here and there. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I think now you're in a, you're in a place where you have the platform and the, and the, and the young men or women that you'll be able to work with and have worked with up to this point, you'll be able to take that knowledge and use it and, and, and guide them. You know what I mean? And I think that's the, the, the funnest part about coaching is using what we've been through, whether we play it or not, but using those experiences to help younger people be better versions of themselves. Yeah, exactly. Just kind of like, uh, just share with them the mistakes that you've made and, and help them not make the same ones. I mean, that's, uh, yeah. that's the nicest part and just be, be, be there with them. Cause you've gone through a lot of the same stuff and just, just help guide them. So, um, I mean, that's one of the yeah. beauties of coaching for sure. What, what would, um, Eduardo Nahara and 
Palm Gugliata have to say about your intensity? Would they have to say about your intensity? We do our research on this podcast, you know. Yeah, that's funny. You got the Tom Gugliata one. That's that's pretty funny. <laughs> I remember that. You know, I remember that play specifically. It was funny because because uh, I I think I actually had him like sealed for a high low pass. So I had him on the top side and. Mike Meeks had the ball at the high post. If you Mike Meeks played on the national team, we played together for years and yeah. threw one over the top. I had a good seal and I caught it. And then I was like, I, I was going up to to dunk it. And I'm like, I think part of me in my brain was thinking, I'm I'm about to dunk on the USA team, but he was yeah. not going to let that happen. So he just yeah. he hammered me and he, he cut me open like probably three or four stitches in my forehead. And there's blood gushing down so you know i saw blood and right away i just thought well we should fight so i got up and went after him and and but it's funny the guy that stepped in was kevin garnett steps in my face and you know he's he's talking uh, the way he's the way he talks come on dog don't do that dog you don't want to do this dog like just trying to convince me of it but i there was a part of me that was wanting to to kind of get back at google but i was also kind of watching the moment i'm like hold on is kevin garnett in my face right now telling me not to fight <laughs> like, like this is this is so fun right so, so it's kind of interesting interesting moment but uh but yeah yeah i've had i've had a few skirmishes in my career <laughs> i love it man uh gold um you knew we had to put you on the spot with something. I'm dig- I'm in digging into my text messages, finding out. Um, <laughs> okay, so S- SFU wraps up, and then you know that, that that super special 2000 Olympic team that we'll touch on is four years away. So, you know, you, you have some you know Italian blood, and when does when does the next level start to become a serious thing for you, um, and, and continue to move forward? There is some time there where you know you're not you're probably in and out with the national team and you had a long extensive career in Europe um, with a lot of different um, clubs and just talk about some of those experiences and, and moving to that next level. Cause like you say, I mean, 96 is a time where, I mean, yeah, we've got the internet. Like I don't want to sound too old, but like, it's not, it was not like it is this, you know, nowadays, like there's no Instagram page or, you know, I can't find out all this information. So there's a lot of the work from you and, and an agent to, to get it done or how did that look? Yeah, so I mean, basically, I like like you said, I had an Italian background. Once I finished my athletic eligibility, I mean, in my mind, I wanted to go play professionally, and I didn't care where it was or or what country or what situation. I was I was ready to go. I wanted to go. Um, it didn't did not happen right away. I had uh, a few different agents. Uh, I guess you kind of go through the same recruiting process where they they recruit you again to to be to represent you and to help you find uh, contracts and jobs overseas. Uh, it wasn't. I think it was probably late summer where just nothing was really materializing, and I didn't really. I don't think I even signed with a particular agent. And uh, and then it was Scott Clark who had a friend. I believe he coached at Evansville in Indiana. And he had a connection with another agent, um, and this company was one of the biggest like powerhouse companies in Europe. It's called Interperformances. So they basically, and I didn't know this at the time, but they were 
they were the agency that was responsible for bringing guys like uh, Kukoc over and uh, Sabonis. Mm-hmm. So they, Ginobili, like they were kind of the first first agency to start bringing Europeans to the NBA. Now, I was a, a small-time player for them, but like a lot of their a lot of their uh, players, the players they represented played throughout Europe and played through, you know, Asia, so all over the world. So once I got connected with them, it, it still took some time because we really needed a team to take a chance on me. Um, and so I would say probably I, I just kept training at SFU and probably towards the end of September. So I'm getting into the school year, October. Uh, what happens a lot over there between around October, November, teams start losing a bit now they start uh wanting to to look and see on the market which which players are available i i end up getting pretty lucky and a a really strong italian team in the first division uh decides to to bring me over they were struggling that year in the season but they decide to to bring me over on kind of like a kind of like a 10-day tryout so to speak but um yeah so that was really exciting because I, I I was lucky enough like I said I have the Italian heritage so Italy I mean at that time overseas in Europe I'd say the strongest countries are probably like your Italy Spain uh, France a little bit Greece a little bit Russia so those were those are some of the, the the highest level basketball being played at a professional level um so Super fortunate to again. It was very similar to my first year at uh, Fairfield. Get thrown in this this fire where um, now all of a sudden I'm like, you know, the levels, everything's raised, everything's uh, better. All the players are obviously better. I'm playing against some guys that have some NBA experience, and now uh, again I'm just the young pup, but I'm still I still try really hard and uh, and go over there with my team, and you know. It was uh, it, it was interesting because I like I had some traits that they didn't really have at that time. I had kind of built myself into being, you know, strong, physical, a better athlete. More I could I could jump a bit better, so I was a bit more, a uh, bit more of a finisher, a dunker, rebound, run the floor, uh, that kind of player. And I and I don't think. In Italy, especially, a lot of the players are just super skilled. Like everybody just could, everybody could shoot, and everybody could put the ball on the ground. And I didn't have those types of skills. But as an Italian, I had traits that a lot of the Italian guys didn't necessarily have. I mean, there were some that definitely did that kind of work, but but that I think just helped to to kind of uh, find a bit of a niche for myself over there. Um, Mm-hmm. It's funny, kind of little side story. When I first got there, I, I didn't actually have my Italian passport. We were working on it, so we had all the papers filed and everything. And, and I was over there, and I uh, we didn't have a I I couldn't play in the league because obviously without the passport. So the the team had decided uh, they brought in a uh, a general manager and another uh, administrative guy from a, a team in Croatia. So Croatia just. From where I was in Italy, probably like a six, seven-hour drive. And uh, they came over and watched me practice. We had dinner, and the team was like, yeah, sure. Like, we like them. Like, and, and they wanted to bring me back to Croatia and play as um, play as a foreigner. So I would play as an import player. So if some listeners are not familiar. Usually a lot of the teams, you'd have your eight 
domestic players, if there was 10 teams, 10 players, and then you'd have your two players that didn't, didn't need to be domestic. So they didn't need to be from that country that the league was in. So that was a, a, a different opportunity. So I remember they, uh, at the time it was my girlfriend, who's now my wife, she was there with me and they, they sent a driver and he came, picked me up in this little town in Italy and, and drove back to Croatia, probably going about 160, 180 the whole time, just flying, <laughs> flying there, just, you know, in total fear in the backseat with my wife, but that's normal for them. But, uh, you get there and, and, uh, I'm in Croatia with this team. We're practicing. We just, just little things like, uh, you know, first day it was like 6:30, 50 minute run in the morning with the team. Okay. And, and the city, the country itself had just gone through, uh, a war. So it was a very turbulent time, like with, with Serbia, Croatia, and it was very tense. I mean, there was military yeah. on the streets. There was, there was a lot of weapon and gun presence everywhere. It was uh, a lot of protesting. It was very, very uh, eye-opening for me. But, uh, I mean, I remember being at the practice, like, getting ready to go and and asking them, uh, I, I asked them, oh, can I, I need to just get my ankles taped because I always tape my ankles before practice at that time. And, and the guy left, and he just came back with a roll of tape and handed it to me. And just walked away. He was like, "There's your, go ahead." <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was, it was different. And you know, you played with. Uh, it was, I, but the cool thing about it, it might not have, like Croatia was a country that maybe it didn't have the financial uh, backings like Italy or Greece, but the basketball was was good. The players were good. Um. Mm-hmm. But after being there for two days, I got a call. I get a call in my hotel room, and and my Italian passport showed up. So I was like, okay, well, I'm obviously going to go back to Italy and play in that league, right? I mean, it's a it's a whole different level, and it was obviously, you know, it was nice to be pampered a bit more at that time. But uh, uh, there was no drive back. So they, the, the, the driver picked me up at the hotel in Croatia. He brought me to the train station and he, and he, and he left. <laughs> that was the train station in Croatia. It was pretty much up to us to get back, back to Italy. We had no idea where we were, but, uh, but yeah, that was kind of, I, I came back, but looking back, it's funny. Cause you, you think about times where, you know, looking back, if there's one thing I, I wish I would have done is I wish I would have just stuck it out. Uh, for a season there because uh, what happened was I went back to Italy and I became like this this role player and I just learned to be a really good role player and I learned to find mm-hmm. out what the coach wanted for me to be on the court uh, what, did he, what did he need from my position and what are the intangibles to do how can you execute scout and I really started to get good at that and I find a way to be on the court and by being on the court for 25 minutes, 30 minutes a game as a big guy. Sometimes the ball just, you're going to end up getting 10 points somehow. You know, a couple free throws, four free throws, a couple layups, and next thing you know, you're you're averaging double digits somehow just by being out there. But uh, I, looking back at my development, I kind of wish I, I stayed in Croatia for a year because now you're the import player, you're the foreigner. It's expected of you to to do to to really perform and to produce game in game out there's a different different uh, mm-hmm. different pressures are involved with that position 
and you're probably expected to to finish some games, right? To find a way to get your team a bucket down the stretch. And and I think that would have pushed yeah, yeah. me more as a player, but uh, the comforts of Italy and having the passport, and I ended up going that road. It, I, I don't think if I went back there 10 times out of 10, I probably would have went back to Italy. But looking back now, I think a, a season under those circumstances probably would have helped me a lot later on. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, also didn't help that you had your girlfriend in your ear to, you know, right. Let's get out of here. We got to get back to Italy, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get back to some pasta and some gelato. It's so much nicer. So yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. What were the crowds like? Were they good? Like, were they supportive like club fa- fans or was it a little hit or miss or what was it like? Really good. I mean, they were so good. They're so passionate about it that they, I mean, we've had, when we had struggles, we've had, uh, I've had, you know, you have a bad weekend and you show up to practice and we'd practice in the little auxiliary gym and there might be like a, a little bit of a, maybe six, seven rows of stands and all of a sudden you'd be practicing and the fans would come in and toilet paper your practice. So just streams of toilet paper thrown at the players at the court covering the practice court so we couldn't practice because they were upset about our last game. Right. And then I, I've had the opposite end where you have a really good game and you play well. And for me, having a good game is literally like having like eight points and seven rebounds. It's not like I'm, I'm not like on ESPN or anything, but it's like you, you have a solid yeah. game and then you roll into the roll into the restaurant and the whole restaurant just stands up and everybody's giving you a standing ovation. And I roll in, I'm like, why is everybody standing? Like, what are they? Oh my gosh. Like they're, they're just so fanatic about it where they would put you on a pedestal. And at the same time, you know, it, it would take one game and, uh, and it'd be the opposite. I mean, there was a fan club on my first team where they would have the, they had the roster. Uh, they had this little room in the back of this uh, cafe and they had all the pictures of the players on the wall, the roster. So you'd have like your individual kind of headshot or action shot. And after every game, if you play bad, they would just take the picture and turn it and face the wall. So that they didn't have to look at you all week. <laughs> so funny. So it's just the way, it, but you, it was so much fun to play in front of, right? Because, because I, I was a player, like I, I played with a lot of emotion and I showed it and, and uh, it, it was mm-hmm. fun to, to play in front of no doubt like it wasn't it wasn't hard to get motivated to play it wasn't hard to get pumped up because in italy the crowds are pretty good that's awesome sounds so fun about 2000 man and just the process of getting there and you know i i'm sure you've had you've had so many great moments in your playing career um you know and, and i've mentioned on the show before just for me as a fan, you know, knowing a bunch of you guys to be on the team was cool to be like kind of connected that way. But just being a prideful Canadian and a basketball hoop head and to see you guys, you know, make it to the Olympic stage, like talk about what that was. You know, you think about your journey back from sitting on a bike, riding, riding with a basketball under your hip to find someone to play. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're at the qualifiers and you realize that you guys have just made the Olympics. Like that must've just been so, you know, you talk about to another level dealing with Kevin Garnett in your face, but talk about what that was like and how all that was for you. I can only imagine. Yeah. I mean, it was amazing. And it's like, uh, 
the the whole ride was just something that was really special and was really fun to go through. I mean, we were extremely fortunate that we were the same age as Steve Nash. I mean, you can't get, you know, like you can't get a better teammate and a better, uh, a better point guard and a player to play with. So we were pretty lucky to be uh, in his age group and kind of go on, go along on the ride uh, with him. I mean, but to our credit, I mean, it was a good, it was a good group for sure. But, uh, you know, like Basketball Canada, they had in 98, I think, I believe we went to Australia for a five game series and they had some vision there. Like they had a, a bit of a group mm-hmm. together that had played and we weren't strong at all in 98. We, we really struggled. I believe it was Greece at the world championships. It was very difficult, bit of a transition, but um, it was coach Konchalski that coaches out at St. FX. And he, he had a bit of a vision, took us to Australia in 98, just to kind of get used to the travel and, and get out there and, and see, just, just play against uh, New Zealand, play against New Z- Australia, um, get climatized to it. And then I believe the, yeah, the 99 qualifiers were in Puerto Rico. And I'm pretty sure we went down there and I don't believe there were, there was like any media. There might've been one Canadian media that came with us. Maybe not even because only the top two qualified to go from that tournament. Mm -hmm. And we were not expected to do much of anything. Right. Um, But I mean, we had Steve, right? So we we would go to these t- trips to Australia without Steve, and we would muck it up and grind it out, and we might win two out of five or three out of five games with Australia. With And Australia at the time was always like a top six, top eight team in the world. So we would really battle with those guys and find a way to win a couple games, you know. Um, so we had a bit of a core that was, uh, that was, that was solid and competitive. And I... When I look back at that team, I I think like from from top to bottom, uh, definitely not the most talented team that Jay could have selected in the staff. But the competitive juices on that team were were pretty high. Like we never stopped competing. Like we played a ton of cards. Like we would we would just as soon as the, and nobody had their phones, so nobody's checking their messages. You know, I mean that just didn't exist really. So we as soon as mm-hmm. practice was done it was get back let's play cards like it was we were always competing against each other and finding a way to compete at some level so that was probably like i don't like to glorify things too much but i think that was like the special really special unique part of that team is that everybody was so competitive right we were competitive with each other uh, but we also wanted to see each other do really well so um, you know, being in the semifinal in Puerto Rico in 1999, and that was basically the game you had to win to get into the Olympics because uh, whoever made the finals and the USA was on the other side. So they were going to be in the final, uh, you know, no matter what. I mean, they were so talented. But uh, we had to beat Puerto Rico in Puerto Rico, probably about 11, 12,000 fans and a you know, packed to capacity arena, old arena, fans are throwing ice, they're whistling, throwing coins, like there's no, there's no holding back. Like it was just a, it was really, really uh, aggressive atmosphere. But like we had, we just had some leaders on that team and we were so lucky that our, I mean, our two NBA guys were Todd McCulloch and Steve Nash and like you just couldn't really get 
uh, two better, two better individuals. personalities. Yeah, like it was so easy yeah. to get them. I mean, I remember when Todd would come after once he was able to come to our camps, and I remember like Jay used to start me, um, and I remember Todd would come, and I'd always be like, okay, Jay, you could, you don't have to start me anymore. Like Todd's here, like he's the starting center. I'll come off the bench and. And Jay was like, no, no, you, you're, you're starting. I want you to start. But I know what Jay was doing. He was just like, you go in there and muck it up and use some fouls and beat the crap out of those guys. <laughs> and then Todd, Todd's going to roll in and, and do his thing, right? And uh, But, um, yeah, we just had – we were very lucky, that team, to have two leaders uh, with that kind of uh, high-level experience. And they were also so humble, and they just fit in – meshed in so easily with the team I remember I think Todd got in foul trouble in that game against Puerto Rico so I played I played quite a bit like I played heavy minutes um I just remember at the end we were up 11 with like probably just like just under two minutes left and Mm -hmm. it's we're starting to like realize like hey we're we're going to the Olympics if we if we manage this and I remember like I used to always inbound the ball as quickly as I could to Steve like catch it right out of the mesh barely get a foot out of bounds and get it in his hands because he would find somebody right away and if I didn't do that he wasn't he wouldn't be very happy with me so I would make sure that got done but I remember inbounding it once and they were they were they were pressing so all of a sudden they decided to press and they had never pressed all tournaments Steve just looked at me and like he was laughing he was like oh they're pressing <laughs> just like like laughing because it was like just give me the ball like they're gonna if they're gonna be aggressive towards me we're we're going down there to get a bucket and the way Steve played we would be up with that lead in the last two minutes and Steve would just be trying to still score like he's like if you're gonna be aggressive I'm not gonna I'm not gonna play and he's gonna be just as aggressive back so we would keep scoring and it and once that buzzer went it became a reality it was just uh very surreal very surreal very fun and and really i don't know just uh you just felt everybody just felt good for each other so it was really cool love the throwback stories and like you talked about you know interesting insight from yourself as as a member of that team recognizing that you know what maybe we didn't necessarily pick the most talented guys but jay had the vision of creating the best team and then when you look at that roster and the guys that you had and the ability to and it just seemed like you're just a group that got along so well but like you said we're able to challenge each other too and and i think you only get to experience teams like that so often you know what i mean yeah no i i no doubt and i mean uh i mean even just uh Recently, we, Jay organized a really cool thing. It was the 20th anniversary of, of that team, and we all had a Zoom meeting, you know. So uh, uh, quite a few of us got together on a on a Zoom call and just rehashed old stories and kind of and talked about that team. And it was it was exactly that. Like you just you just don't get to experience that much that situation. And uh, I, I think I told them it was you know it kind of spoiled me because you know I thought every team should be able to do this and the teams <laughs> I coached on that's that's what I thought the players would aspire to do and and be that way but it, it's that's that's not always the case I mean you do have to remember I mean Steve was just such a he just had such a huge impact on people around him on and off the court and I and again like like I said I don't mean to glorify people but he just 
he made everybody believe in themselves maybe like, you know, 20% more than you did before, right? And he was just that kind of person. So everybody thought they were they were better than they were, whether they were or not. And, <laughs> and he really just had this kind of empowerment over and this influence on all his teammates. And, and then he backed it up with his play every night and, and every practice, every game. So it was, uh, it was really, he, he definitely took us to another level. I think we're a very tight group, very competitive group. Everybody's very passionate about basketball, but then you add him, he was, he was just the perfect type of, uh, of leader and just obviously his, his uh, playing ability and, and what he, what he did to everybody. Like he, you now I just remember playing against, uh, playing against Yugoslavia and I was uh, pretty bad that game. We won. I mean, there's, we had so many great performances from guys on our team and I, I stunk. Like I got in foul trouble and I, I was missing free throws and I was really just, uh, wasn't, wasn't effective at all. And the next day, I, I was good. I mean, everybody's excited. We won, but of course, you always want to do as much as you can to help your team win. And and uh, I was, he's like, you know, he just he found a moment and just kind of said, like, hey, what's going on? I'm like, well, I just, I, you know, I just wanted to contribute more. I've been contributing so much, and I want to, I want to contribute every single game somehow. And I felt like last night I didn't. And uh, he's like, what are you talking about? You. The other team got in foul trouble. Like you, you, you tallied up. Like I think they they committed like four or five fouls. Their their forwards on you, so they were all, you know, one or two deep into foul trouble right away in the first quarter. And I had never looked at it that way, but he he brought it out, and I was like, oh yeah, I did do something good, you know. And all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, I helped, I helped somehow. But I would have <laughs> never thought of that. But he thought of that, and he just he he just did little things like that all the time to kind of to kind of shape uh, your contribution or shape your importance to the team to make sure that you, he knew you're appreciated. And uh, mm -hmm. I mean, it was easy to, it just easy to play hard for him and play with him. Now, not to throw you in the spot here. Um, you think he's going to be able to do all right with uh, Brooklyn? I think he will. Like, I think, yeah. I mean, of course I'm, I'm biased, but I mean, if you've seen the staff, he's assembled, um, he's so good at managing people and, and dealing with all different types of personalities and, and he's been through it all. Like, I think, uh, I don't know. I mean, I mean, imagine the expectations there are, are championship or bust, but, uh, you look at the, you look at the staff and it's for him, it's just a matter of, I mean, I mean, he's a capable enough guy and you've seen the way he went through his basketball career where it was basically he was a kind of like a, a figure it out type of athlete. Like, what do I need to get stronger? Okay, I'll go do that. What do I need to be more skilled? What do I need to have like fourth quarter stamina? What do I need to improve this part of my game? Like he used to, I remember after practices, he used to just, uh, like he used to play one-on-one -on -one against me in the post. Like I would just defend mm -hmm. him. And I, I don't think I ever got the ball, but he would just work on like just scoring over top of a six, nine, post defender and one thing I was okay at was playing D in the post so mm -hmm. he's just that kind of guy so I figure I feel like coaching is just a matter of him getting reps and he's gonna have some bumps but he's a figure it out type of person he'll figure it out he'll be he'll be fine he'll be it's fun now we're cheering for Brooklyn I know right <laughs> yeah 
Got to go get a jersey. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of like I've always kind of been like, yeah, Brooklyn's kind of dope, you know. And then I'm like, okay, now I'm definitely now I'm definitely cheering for Brooklyn for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. We're all in. Um, and then you know after that, just a, that special experience, and you know you still continue to play for I think it's eight more years, right, professionally. And when when does it come to a point where is it the body is it the body telling you all right? enough's enough or is it hey there's other things i want to you know i want to get back to quote unquote home and start to look to have a family or how does all that come into play i mean you have older kids so you know when does that next sort of phase of your basketball journey come into play for you yeah i think towards the end you just get to the point where you're doing a lot of prep work off the court just so that you Mm -hmm. can compete on the court and the time i I mean i you know it's not the time overseas playing even in countries like uh you know italy and germany it's not all glory like you you get to play at a pretty decent level but uh just speaking from experience i can come home and you know especially when i was younger oh yeah i'm a pro pro player and kind of put your chest out a little bit a bit of an ego there but the reality of it was it was it was not all lovely you know peaches and creams but behind the scenes it was uh it was a bit of a grind like it was it was not easy so towards the end just the matter just the amount of time I was putting in just to be prepared for practice or be prepared for games physically started to take its toll and and there was a part of uh part of us just wanted to come back and and finally live in our own country you know looking mm-hmm. looking back I wish I would have played maybe one or two more years um, because you don't realize that the, at the time that once you're done, uh, you're done. Like once, once you lace them up for men's league, that's, that's it here. <laughs> you're not going back. So that was uh, looking back. I wish I would have, I would have got a, another year or two to in, but uh, you know, it is what it is. And we made the decision to come back home and kind of get our life started here. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously your hoops journey has continued, you know, you had opportunity with the bandits, you've been to UBCO, now you're getting your education degree is, is coaching, you know, do you see yourself trying to push back for another post-secondary job in the future? Or you think, do you see yourself like starting a program out there in the Okanagan and and working with some youth or have you thought that far about what your next step is going to be for you basketball wise? Are you just trying to put your head down and get through this education COVID degree and, and, uh, and then go from there? No, I definitely want to get, like, I really want to give back with the youth. Like I really enjoy coaching youth. I found that just uh, coaching my daughters during grade nine, grade seven, um, I really enjoy coaching that age group and, and even coaching the younger ones. I, I um, like down the road, I would, I would always keep open to post-secondary options for sure. I mean, the one, the one issue with coaching is that you have to be ready to, to move. You have to be ready to pick up and go wherever the job is. And in Canada, there's only X amount of jobs. And even if I was fortunate enough to, to have a opportunity somewhere, you're still talking about picking up all the pieces and, and moving everybody. And when it's, it's, when it's just you, yeah, sure. It's fine. You'll go wherever the opportunity is. But when it's, uh, you know, we have three children, we have a dog and a cat and a family and a home. So it's just, uh, it's tough to say, uh, is it worth it? So yeah. the education program is really, you know, I'm just, you know, taking care of my family's needs and trying to find something here where I can, 
give back to the community and still have a, a schedule that I could I can work as a youth coach and I could be involved in some of the youth programs, whether it's through the schools or through club, but uh, just be on the same schedule as the kids so I can I can give back that way and and be involved and uh, but basketball will always be will always be a part of what I do for sure. Yeah. I just don't want to see any more videos on Instagram of Denny trying to dunk on you in a costume, okay? Oh, man. I regret that. <laughs> I regret that moment. I don't know how he I don't know how he talked that in talked it talked me into it. He was asking me all it's week. Denny, man. Finally I he's, caved. Yeah. Denny, he's just I know. He's I got, got he's, Yeah. He's, he's got it I got in him, right? Got some flack for that. Don't worry. I got some <laughs> flack for that. I didn't realize he would I didn't I didn't really understand that uh he would be sharing it so quickly with the outside world. It it happened fast. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get to the serious business here. Uh, What is the greatest bag of chips or kind of chips all time? Mm. I'm a chip like a fanatic where I've had to stop buying them because (laughs) if I buy them, like they don't, they don't make it home to my kitchen cupboard. Like they get opened in the car and they're gone. So, but I am, my go-to recently was, has always been, uh, last few years, it's been kettle chips, the sea salt, just the straight mm. sea salt chips. I, yeah, I, I'm all over those. Have you, have you tried the hard bite chips? Yeah, I actually had like a little bag of those today. They were pretty good. They're those delicious, well. man. Local company too, like uh, some some guys down in Vancouver. Their company, so they're they're great. And if I go yeah. with Doritos, it's always the sweet chili heat. I gotta hit. I gotta go with sweet chili heat. Yeah, but if you get to that bottom of that bag, the roof of the mouth by the end, whoo! <laughs> it's worth it. <laughs> I'm, I've realized there's a a lot of former hoopers that are uh, consider themselves like either chip connoisseurs or have like chip issues. You know? Yeah. Not alone. Yeah, I don't here. know what it is about. I'm a salt guy. Like if you go sweet or salty or sweet, I'm all about like I'll go with the chips ten times yeah. out of ten. Okay. And Fair I enough. had to just slow that down. <laughs> who's uh who's been the most important person in your life or people up to this point? Uh well, I mean, I don't think I could do anything without like the support of my wife, that's for sure. Like uh just to be in the position I am now, like just to have a family and a home and and uh, be on the path we are, like, no doubt. Uh, she's been so supportive uh, throughout everything and, and helped me kind of do what I wanted to do and pursue what I wanted to pursue with regards to basketball. So no doubt she's at the top of that list. And then, you know, my parents, my family, uh, my dad's still, he's still with us. My mom has passed, but my dad's still around back east in Ontario. He's been, he's always been incredibly supportive. And then, you know, just coaches, from Jay Triano to Scott Clark to Peter Campbell, who used to coach at Laurentian, coached me on the provincial team, Bob Cool and John City in high school, just various coaches that, you know, it doesn't take much. Sometimes they just believe in you a bit, and then, and that, that's all you need. So those, that would probably be the cast of characters that I'm most grateful to. In your opinion, who is the greatest basketball player of all time? That's MJ. I have this argument like almost every day with a group of friends here. Okay. MJ or LeBron. And do you want to hear my reason? Absolutely. Okay. Well, my reason is I Le, LeBron, when it's the fourth quarter and 
you got to get a bucket. LeBron still makes like the right basketball play, but sometimes the the right basketball play is the is the wrong basketball play. If you know what I mean, like MJ, we, MJ, we get to his spot and whatever it was like a mid range post up, he'd find a way to to get a bucket or at least to get a look. Mm-hmm. I feel like LeBron still defaults too much. I mean, he's he's had a great career. I lo- I think LeBron's a great player, but in my opinion, he's just defaulted too many times by making like the the right basketball play at those in those pressure moments. And I think I think that right basketball play is fine when you're midway through the third quarter. Yeah. But but um to me I'm like, you know, it's fourth quarter, there's you know, under 2 minutes left. What would you say? Where, where, where does LeBron go to get a bucket? Does he have a spot he gets to? Does he have like Kobe mm-hmm. had his spot, MJ has his spot. Like, does LeBron have a have a place he goes to on the court to get a bucket? Can't answer that for you. I because I wholeheartedly agree. Like that's my thing is, and people say like, yeah, if LeBron and MJ play one on one, LeBron might even win. But like you say, if I'm a coach or I'm on a team and I got a guy that I want to ride or die with in the fourth quarter, it's MJ all the way. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard it's it's hard to to compete with that. Yeah. I just haven't seen LeBron do it enough where he he finds his spot. Like he'll still make plays, but like you just knew what was coming with MJ and yeah. most of the time it worked out. Yeah. Fair enough. Um you've had an amazing career. You've been around the world. Basketball has brought you so many things. Is there a handful of players that you could think at the top of your head? Like, who are the greatest players that you've either played with or against? I don't know. Everyone's. I mean, obviously, like, like with you know, leaving someone out, but yeah, you know, I mean, I think I mentioned yeah. Steve enough, but like Todd McCulloch, Rowan Barrett, Michael Meeks, that 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 national team group, and then just playing against, I'd say, a lot of very good international players that you may not have heard of that have great international careers. But also just just getting to play against the American teams, um, you know, I've played. Those teams sometimes had guys like you know Allen Iverson, Jason Kidd, Kevin Garnett, Tim Duncan, you name it. Alonzo Mourning. Tim Duncan was probably one of my favorite experiences because I've never played against a guy who was so good, um, but also so nice at the same time. <laughs> You know, <laughs> like he just crush you, but still be very nice about it. Where you, you like the guy after he just gave you the business. And I'm like, hey, that, that guy's a nice guy. <laughs> uh, in Italy, I remember jumping ball at, it was uh, Dominique Willikens' last year or two of his career. You know, I no remember going way. to center. I was, I jumped, I started at center and Dominique would take like uh the jump balls for his Italian first division Italian team. And I'm, I mean, I remember just kind of looking across the, you were getting ready to jump. And I'm like, that's Dominique Wilkins. We're about to jump for the ball here. Like this is bizarre. Right. What? So yeah, the, I mean, the, being on the national team gave me lots of opportunities to be able to play against players of a really high caliber. And I mean, the games sometimes were kind of lopsided, but it was just pretty cool to, to play against the best in your, in your profession. Yeah, for sure. Awesome, man. Um, you're on dad duty. You're dropping kids at, at school and doing your thing. They finally, you finally get everybody on your way and you've got whatever you've got, either the CD collection, you got Spotify, whatever it is, 
what are we bumping? Do you have a minivan? Of course. Yeah. So what are we bumping in the minivan while we eat sea salt chips? <laughs> I, I'm all over the place, to be honest. Like I'm with anything that's that's going down. But I think like some of my all-time favorites are like the I really like LCD sound system. Like that's if I want to get pumped up, that's what I'm going to. But I'm all over the place. I'll go with whatever's, with whatever's going for the day. As long as it's not uh, Dinny or Maeve trying to sing it, you know. Yeah, yeah. As long <laughs> as it's, especially if it's not on, if it's not on Dinny's playlist, then I'm, I'm probably pretty safe. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Two more questions. Uh, what are your thoughts? You know, you have some older kids, you have a younger uh, son. What are your thoughts for you personally about ketchup on macaroni? I always serve the macaroni without the ketchup and then mm -hmm. wait to see if there's a request mm -hmm. for it. And then I secretly put the ketchup on my own macaroni while I, I hide what I'm eating from them. So, wow. I make, they have to have the macaroni and if they want ketchup, they just have to request it. But I am all over the ketchup right from the start. <laughs> wow. Is that bad? Is that bad parenting? <laughs> I mean, let's talk about the first issue here, Mr. Gracchi, is uh, the ketchup on the macaroni to begin with. Okay. So th that's the first problem, but I, I, I appreciate your honesty. You don't like it? Yeah, I don't know. I don't, are you, are you setting your kids up? I don't know. Like, I, I like the technique. I thought you were going to say, like, I hide the ketchup and don't let them have it. But then you're telling me you load it with ketchup and eat it by yourself. That's kind of dirty, man. Well, But I like it. I don't really want them to get hooked on ketchup, right? Right. Because then they end up putting ketchup. Yeah. They go to ketchup for everything. Like, anything you put out there, all of a sudden the ketchup's the condiment on the table. So try to keep the ketchup under control. But... I'm for, I mean, I'm 46. It's too late for me. So I, I, I might as well enjoy my right. ketchup. And I, I don't know. I, I like the ketchup on the macaroni. I can't, I can't, I can't lie. Okay. It's your world. <laughs> you are, you, you make a good point about the ketchup in general, though. I think it was Tim McAuliffe said like, you know, ketchup's the condiment from hell or something like that. Right. Like it's just, <laughs> it can, it can lead to real bad things for sure. <laughs> Before we let you go, upon reflection, you know, going down memory lane and, you know, your story's been great. And I know we talked off air before and you thought like, I don't know, I don't really want to talk about myself, but you, you're not necessarily doing that. You're just sharing your experiences with people to hear, you know, and I think so many great reflections and, and so many awesome things have come to you in your life. And, uh, you know, you've been fortunate through the game of basketball, but, you know, we, the thing we like to ask and kind of end with is if you could do it all again, you would. So is there anything you would change? Would you keep it the same or, you know, would you just ride out? I don't know. You know, I think if I were to do it all over again, I would probably, um, the game was kind of changing towards like when I was in my pro years in terms of, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't the size to play my position. Once you get to a certain level, like the guys that were playing the five, the four or five, maybe leaning towards the five more, um, they were bigger, just bigger humans, six, 11, seven feet, bigger people. So I needed to have a more well-rounded skill set 
at my size if I wanted to take my game to an even higher level. And I, looking back, I wish I would have just committed uh, to some serious time and maybe, maybe for my first couple, two, three years overseas, just stayed overseas and worked with the coaches. I think I was a little anxious to get home just being away for nine, ten months at a time. Whereas if I just stayed over there and worked with some of their, their coaches, that's the one thing I would do differently. But uh, I've been very fortunate and lucky. I've, a, I've had great teammates, great coaches surrounding me, great family support. Like, I, you know, like I like to – I don't like it's. It's been interesting doing this podcast because you get to share it, but a lot of it, like you, you go through kind of watching yourself. Like it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a movie, and it's kind of fun to go through. And you know, I'm just very grateful and and lucky to have had that experience. Good reflection, man. I think um, it's important to look back and just be thankful for it because I mean, you, it's something that you loved, but you also put a ton of hours into. And I think it would you know, be sad or dark if you look back and, and, you know, had these regrets or other, you know, bad things. And you, you have had many amazing things. Any shout outs or uh, last comments before we uh, let you go on your way? Yeah. The only, I just got one shout out that is not quite, you might not have heard of them, but uh, I doubt you have. There's a group of guys here in Kelowna, the garage fathers, they're uh, basketball, very passionate about sports, very basketball, but very passionate about basketball. And, and extremely passionate about their fantasy football. So I just got to give a shout out to the, to the garage fathers. I love it. <laughs> uh, is there an Instagram handle we can tag them on or are they kind of a low key sort of group? Oh yeah. It's just, just very low key. It's just a bunch of dads who, who, uh, <laughs> who kind of get together and play fantasy, play some poker from time to time. And everybody's got a, got a garage and we've all kind of piece, kind of taken a corner of our garage and made it, made it into our little basketball sports world. So it's, uh, yeah, shout out to them for sure. Good group of guys. Absolutely amazing. What a great way to end it. Um, a great listen for so many people. I know there'll be people out east that'll want to connect with this one and lots of people on the West Coast. Pete, we wish you absolutely nothing but the best to you and your family, health and happiness, and, and continue to work towards that degree and get it done. And um, can't wait to connect with you whenever you're down in the lower mainland for the next time. Thanks again, buddy. Yeah, thanks so much, Aaron. Thanks for having me. I, I love what you're doing. This is uh, this is awesome. I'm I'm a I'm a listener. I'm hooked, and it's uh, it's good stuff. And uh, yeah, just very grateful to be on your show. Cheers, brother. Shout out to our sponsors. Thanks so much to our listeners, and uh, we will hear and see from you on the next episode. Be well.